Welcome to our Digital Disruptor series where we profile companies and innovations that are set to remake and reshape industries, companies, and the economy. We hope you'll enjoy our interviews and always welcome any comments and suggestions. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Momenta Edge podcast. Today, uh, we have a, uh, a special guest uh, with, with us. This is uh, Flavia Tata Nardini, who is co-founder and CEO of Fleet Space, which is a, uh, an agile new space company based out of Australia. And we'll be getting into a bit of what they do. Um, it's, a, it's a really fascinating story. Um, again, this is uh, Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta. Uh, and, and Flavia, it's a, it's a pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ed. <laughs> Great. Well, I'd love to start off with a little bit of uh, a little bit of background before we start talking about what you're doing at uh, um, at, at Fleet Space. Could you could you share a bit of you know what what in your background had attracted you to technology and uh, you know and, and particularly what you know what what has led you to to, to work in the uh, you know in in in, in space <laughs> space tech. Well. <laughs> So listen, it's a, it's a story that really starts from the beginning, but I always wanted to be space, um, work in space uh, since, I don't know, it's just a fascination of mine. I come from a big family. We are um, five siblings and all of them kind of pursue engineering uh, um, uh, subjects in different, in different forms. Uh, I, I just love space. You know, when I was a little girl, probably every kid loves space, but I was very obsessed. So when I was little, I just dreamt about building things in space and I was building things when I was little. And so I was a little bit of a trouble for my mom. And then, you know, I kept, I kept growing and I thought, okay, what else I'm going to do? I was good in math. Um, um, I was playing professional basketball. I was a bit all over the place, but I was very focused on space. Okay. So I, um, I, I remember at university, I'm like, hey, I told my brothers, like, I'm, I'm going to move for space engineering. I, I wasn't sure what it was. I just was sure that in that way, I would have worked in space. So it really started studying. I, I love studying. So I went for the space engineering and aerospace engineering degrees. And I realized I actually like uh, engines, you know, like rocket scientists. I really love them. They're super amazing. And that was more or less, now I'm going to tell you my age, so that's not really nice, but that was more or less 2008, okay, when I started working at European Space Agency. And that was the time when these most satellites were kind of entering in the market quite aggressively. It was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And um, I know what, I was a little nerd that wanted to build propulsion systems, so engines for small satellites. And there is where it all started. So I grew this kind of love for these small satellites. I worked in Europe for many years on them and all sorts of, you know, missions. I love them. Um, I was focusing on the small propulsion system that is the engine that allows them, allows you to bring them around. But um, this is where my technology love exploded, I guess. Uh, I was fascinated about them. But I, honestly, at that time, uh, entrepreneurship was 
not even an option in my mind. There was just a lot of love for new space technology. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, when we talk about these small satellites, what are they? Okay, just to give you a little bit of an idea. Um, that was a concept that started um, probably 10 years after that. And they are, you know, very small satellites. So just to give you a visual image, it's as big as a shoebox. Okay, when you buy your shoes, open the box, throw the box away, that box is more or less how big these satellites are. So pretty amazing technologies uh, at the time. Now, one question I, I I have to ask. Now, it was very interesting that you, you mentioned that you played professional basketball, uh, and there is quite an art to creating that the the right combination of of velocity and arc, you know, to be able to get a to be able to get a ball, uh, you know, to, to oh, wow, fly yeah. through the air and land in a plant. I, I'm just you know, I, it makes me think that that there is a there is a kind of a similar art. Actually, there's a there's the art of basketball, but the science of, of of rocket <laughs> propulsion and, and, and guiding, you know, guiding satellites to where they need to go. You need to shoot that ball. It has to have a very specific trajectory to get into the net. So you need to do a little bit of math to do that. You know, a professional sport is something that my family really does. And, uh, and it's hard work. And uh, when uh, any kind of focus in you, I mean, when I was, I was a teenager, right? Like all the teenagers, but having to play and having to study it kind of it really helps. I know I've got two daughters. I really, really hope that they will will do things like that because it does it does give you a lot of elements as a person when you have to compete, when you have to work hard, and when you have to shoot the ball and has to get into the net. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> There's probably some parallelism there. Yeah. Well, I mean, getting involved in, in space technology is, I mean, there's a, an enormous range of disciplines, Every everything from, you know, obviously computer science to, you know, uh, propulsion, uh, engineering and motion. Um, but, you know, but also the, you know, the physical uh, understanding, you know, the how to, how to create physical devices and satellites. I'd love to love to get your view on, you know, what you've learned in your experiences as you've as you've watched the evolution. Of, of of satellite technologies over the uh, you know over the last you know through your experience and over the last couple of decades and um, you know what are some of the important developments that, you know that that you've observed that that you think are uh, you know maybe not as as widely appreciated by many people but uh, that also might have, have you know lead to you know, new use cases and uh, and business opportunities. That's I try. You're asking a good question because, um, I mean, space technology is, I think a lot of uh, people don't understand uh, what satellites are really for. Um, it's hard to understand that the business case, how they, that they are used. Uh, what is important to understand, though, is how technology, as you ask, impacted. So if you look at the past 60 or 50 years, um, satellites, right, um, all, most of so there is a, a very clear evolution. So for who is not in the sector, most of the satellites has been built in the past 50 years. We are talking about quite big satellites. Okay, so imagine as big as a small bus. Okay, probably out of the room we are sitting now. So pretty, pretty big satellites, usually built uh, by government or big organization, because as you can imagine, building a satellite like this costs a lot of money. Why do we build satellites so big? Because there is a, a specific orbit 
um, out there around the world that is called geostationary orbit. Uh, that is an orbit that allows a satellite to be on top of a specific part of the world constantly. So I'm in Australia, right? A very, very big country. So uh, some of these big satellites being launched in the past years, they are launching this orbit and they literally move themselves with Earth and always look at Australia. So geo, we call it geo, geostationary orbit. And uh, so it's pretty far from Earth, uh, 36,000 kilometers plus and minus. So you need a rocket to put it there, a lot of fuel. It's an expensive exercise. Um, if you look in GEO, there are a lot of satellites, not, not little. GEO is a very busy orbit. And to put a satellite up there could cost, depending on the satellites, in the order of money of billions to build and billions to launch. So as you can imagine, it's not an exercise that everyone can do. So in the past 60 years, these satellites have been used. So they are pretty big because, you know, once you put a satellite up there, it stays up there for 60 years. You want to make sure that it's, it's a big, solid satellite with many technologies in it. Okay. So this exercise has always been in the hands of uh, governments, of very big organizations, most of the time with the scope of defense, you know, uh, so defense department that are able to spend money for that, or... Earth observation, so taking photos of Earth from the top, always for safety, security, and sometimes communication. Okay, so giving the chance for remote areas to get safe communication. But again, most of the people working on it were the European Space Agency or NASA or the US government or Boeing or Lockheed, so big organizations. Because I mean, no startup had the chance to ever put something out there, right? Billion of dollars is exercise. Then we have seen another change in the past 20 years. So um, electronic, I think, is all driven by other, other technologies. Electronics getting smaller, uh, different ways to 3D print materials, different ways to construct, different understanding of other orbits. And, you know, a couple of companies like Iridium and others decided to put constellation of satellites a little bit smaller, still bigger. We're still talking about a pretty good, a pretty decent size, like a car, um, but in a in lower orbit, so closer to Earth, you know, a thousand kilometers, a couple of thousand kilometers, because, you know, the closer you go to Earth, the, the easier it's to launch and the cost are less. But then what happens there, that everything changes. If you are not in an orbit that you see Earth all the time, constantly, and you go lower, so you're saving costs, you kind of every day see Every side of Earth, you you run, you are in an orbit that goes absolutely crazy around Earth. We call it um, low Earth orbit, right? So what it means is that mm-hmm. you're not just always seeing Australia. You know, in one day you see all Earth. It's kind of exciting because in one satellite you can see everything. But what it means that you can't do a lot of things that you can do when you constantly real time see a place. So what you have to do is launch more satellites. So Iridium launched. Uh, many satellites, and there was, uh, you know, O3B launched many satellites. So the change started, okay, let's go lower in altitude. Instead of having a big bird, let's launch little birds, you know, that they go all around Earth and see if the, if the economics change. Uh, the exercise wasn't that easy, you know. Iridium had to raise money and then raise money again for a new constellation, O3B, you know, had successes here and not there. Satellites were still very big. 
And uh, probably 15 years ago, something else entered in the market. It's a very small satellite, as I was telling you, uh, CubeSat, nanosatellite, very tiny. We are talking about shoebox. We are talking about $100,000 cost, um, maximum few millions. Order of money is completely different, right? And the idea was like, oh, okay, guys, these are very tiny. We might have to launch hundreds of them to reach, you know, a good understanding of the application. But at least we can try, you know, in, in software world, you call them MVP, minimum viable product. When you have a billion dollar satellite, that's not MVP, right? That has to work. But when you've got a couple of hundred K, you can launch it up there, see how it goes. Okay, super interesting, super interesting. So completely changing, it's like little computers in space. So the first commercial company that decided to do that is called Planet. And Planet started in 2012, literally putting an iPhone into a cage that it was the biggest shoebox in the sky. With the dream, okay, we are going to launch many satellites and take photos of all Earth. And this is going to be not a camera as good as the camera they got in Geo, but it's going to bring a lot of more other interesting things. You know, the capability to launch and understand the market fast. They can be able to improve technologies in time. You know, when you launch a big satellite, technology stays there for 50 years. The capability to try and change when the market change. And Planet now arrays, I don't know, COD in, in the valley and operates 330 nanosatellites in space. So sadly, a company that came in with MVPs in space and small computers and small satellites has got the chance to try things with customers. So launch, this is a camera, right? So take some photos. Okay, well, what are we using photos for? And suddenly thinking, okay, let's, let's use applications layers and let's get these photos in the end of markets that had not changed before to buy photos that are super expensive. But it's not just about super expensive. It's also... Planet, for example, understood that a farmer that needs a photo cannot just get a photo, right? What do you do with a photo? It needs to have analytics behind it. So here we are. So the, the most technology in space merge with the software economy, creating new applications, right? And, uh, and that's amazing because if you look at all those uh, Earth observation data from NASA and ESA, they're not in the hands of the farmers most of the time. What Planet gave this in the hands of everyone, farmers, border control. And then there was Spire, another nanosatellite company that decided, okay, we do the same, but, you know, we, we, we check maritime boats and illegal fishing and weather. And, uh, and now you're talking with us. That is like the new, uh, the new trend that in low Earth orbit is more satellite you put in internet. And uh, you put comms, you put communication, so they allow you to do communication. And this is, we'll talk about it uh, um, after, but uh, what it means. But it's a big change, you know, going from billion-dollar satellites mm. in which who can build it is just big government and who can buy the data is just big government to small satellites who, who can build them in startups, software startups, really, and who can buy the things, everyone. 
So it's just changing the economy. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's, it's, it really parallels computing uh, or the evolution of computing. But, you know, three decades after, you, it used to be that if you wanted to compute, right, you'd have to find a mainframe and, and share a little bit of time on it. And it would only be, uh, you'd only have access at big universities or, or institutions. And, Correct. And, and, right. <laughs> and, and, and now, of course, you've got. And now you have a laptop. Right, and and the and you know your iPhone in your pocket has more, you know, more power than it took to get the, uh, you know, send the Apollo Eleven mission to the moon. I think that's I people. People say that it's it's uh, it's pretty amazing, and just watching, fascinating, just, right? Yeah, seeing how much, um, uh, you know, just what went into that. Um, I, I we this is we've just passed that fiftieth anniversary of that achievement, and, and it's in some respects, right? We haven't we haven't put as many humans in space, uh, or we haven't walked on the moon. But the but I think what you just articulated is so important to, uh, you know, to to understand is this you know this democratization of this of of space technologies. And and going beyond just being able to put the satellites in the air, I think most of us are pretty familiar with um, with you know the ability to you know you, you if you have a satellite phone or you have a um, a GPS, we're all pretty kind of familiar with that. But um, we'd love to get a, um, a an understanding of like what you know what kind of applications uh, you, you know you can do with these you know with with this cheaper what technology. Can you do? <laughs> <laughs> or I so, guess you what know, can't I, you do? I give you, what can we do? What we cannot do? That's the point. So um, I give you three buckets of the type of nanosatellites that are up there. And, uh, and bear in mind, we do industrial IoT. We do IoT. That is one bucket. My big vision is that all this data is going to get fused anyway for end users. So you can get access to different types of data. Huh? So you, we mentioned Planet. Planet is probably one of the most successful in Earth observations with nanosatellites, and there are many other companies that followed. Uh, nanosatellites, bigger satellites. Interestingly enough, there was a company called Skybox with a bigger satellite that everyone thought, oh, it's going to be better. But at the end of the day, the company was bought by Google and rebought by Planet. So there's a lot going on. But that bucket of Earth observation data allows to take photos, okay? So... When you look at this, like, okay, it's just taking photos. What does that mean? But if you look at all the companies that work with planet data, so they, they ingest planet data and they give it to a, their customers, the application are infinite. So farming is a big one. So or deforestation is a big one. So you're a farmer. You can see your farm from the top in time. You know, what are the change in the crop from the top? Just the photo doesn't do anything. But a lot of analytic companies get the information from the photo, the changes that they see in time, and they combine it with data uh, on the ground or with historical data, and they can actually help the farmer to make decisions about the crop. Or you have, you know, uh, environmental is a big one. You know, with everyday photo, you can check the changes, okay, in rivers and in, uh, and, and in problematic situations. So photos are a big, big, interesting uh, asset. Okay, to funnel inside um, applications. Um, Spire does weather data, and uh, weather data is one of the applications. Weather data fused with data of a crop just give the entire sets of information that a market that a farmer needs for his yearly crop. 
And then it's us, okay, us and another bunch of uh, crazy in the in the IoT world, in which we believe that Internet of Things is a, it's a different exercise. It's not taking photos, it's not measuring the weather. It's actually giving the opportunity of people to put sensors in their field, and the sensors data goes through a satellite. So it's a communication tool, okay? IoT. So we can talk about fleet, and we'll talk about fleet, but what IoT can give you today, because IoT, Internet of Things is a bit of a buzzword for a lot of people, but not, not for people that are in the market. So it's all about application. Right. So if you look what fleet has done in the past four years, uh, probably I, I separate them in three buckets. One is agriculture. So in agriculture, one is energy in general, uh, with mining and oil and gas, construction and things like that. And one is environmental. So let me give you a couple of examples from customers. Now we can talk about it as well. Right. So, uh, just recent ideas. So recently we have deployed nine, um, several sites in U.S. with a big agricultural company and our partner, uh, Sensotera, that they have sensors for soil. So uh, we are big fans of giving the chance of farmers to deploy a lot of things. So you, when you got 500,000, 10,000 points of soil, it's unbelievable what you can learn. So what we do there is giving the chance to the farmer to get all the soil data. Farmer usually, the soil data is either historical, so every year they use agronomy to get data, uh, or once a year they have to get, get the soil, send it to a, a lab, do a lot of expensive exercises. So when you combine soil moisture sensors, so they actually put the sensors, we collect the data and send it through satellites. Um, this, with existing satellite networks, with existing connects, would have cost you thousands of dollars a sensors a month. You know, for a sensor that costs $80, $90, it's just mm. not worth it. The business model doesn't stack up. So the operation in agriculture is very manual very manual for everything, like um, mm -hmm. irrigation, so crop check. Another big one that I really like in Agritech that we work with a company uh, called Hostepi that they found that they have this little chip that allows you to measure the condition in the beehive. And you will think, oh, wow, what space has to do with that? But far beehive farming are enormous. And, you know, what people in the operation, they have to do is not... It, it, doesn't give you an insight. So they have to go there, open the beehive, see if it's ready. The bees get, I don't know, impacted by the fact that you open and close. It's usually mm -hmm. a remote area, so you go up and down with trucks. So the entire exercise is complicated. You know, if we look at other uh, of our customers in energy, we are working with the biggest hydroelectric plants in Australia, starting with them the journey. IoT is a business transformation, right? So for a farmer, it's changing the way he manages his business. So imagine a hydroelectric plant, usually in the middle of nowhere, usually not 3G, usually 150 kilometers of pipes and dams and water management, right? How do you do it? You do it manually. So these people have been doing manual checkups of valves for 50 years. So there is a lot of water wasted. There is a lot of safety problems. There is a lot of inefficiency. And, and it's not, these are problems that they've been having for years. It's not the fleet arrived and finally, oh, it's all solved. No, they have been having this problem for years. And their business, in terms of safety and efficiency, has been going on like this for many years. But now technologies are coming. 
Now, low-pan technologies are coming, and nanosatellite technology are coming to solve that. It's a very sweet spot in the economy in which enterprises can start deploying technologies they could not deploy 10 years ago for many reasons that we can discuss. So the hydroelectric plant now, it is working on installing automated valves and automated things. You know, we went to this hydroelectric plant. It's in the middle of nowhere. There are snakes. The safety issues are enormous. And then you look at mining. That is a big topic in Australia, for example. And our customer has got an enormity of issues that satellites can solve. You know, that goes from, you know, automated drilling to explorations, you know, to how do you track all your assets. Uh, we work with a company in here called Kenner that is the biggest rental high company of assets. Like hundreds of thousands of pieces of assets, they want to track. Why do they want to track them? It's because they, if they track the assets, there are millions of dollars that they can save by here for people and lost things mm-hmm. that are a business model that they can change because if they track, they do predictive maintenance. And also they can charge their customers in a different way based on usage. So this is a company that's been operating for 60 years that suddenly changed the entire business model because sensors and low-pan and nanosatellites exist. So that's, that's amazing. It's uh, remarkable too that you have uh, you've you've found a lot of use cases in Australia, and I'd love to uh, understand a bit of uh, the origin of Fleet Space, and and uh, I think I think we after after I heard uh, a bit of your um, your your work at the European Space Agency, I would love to love to hear a little bit of the backstory of the company, but also you know what what. What it was about Australia that had attracted you to um, uh, to set up there, because it, as I as I think about it, this you know this opportunity for being able to test these you know very wide area uh, you know communications and uh, you know information intelligence applications. I mean, it would seem this is I mean this is about the t- some of your, you you have some of the toughest uh, toughest environments on, on Earth to be able to uh, you know where you, where you really need to. Be be able to, to make this technology work. So, uh, yeah, I would love to hear a bit about <laughs> what, what what drew you there because it's a it's a it's a it's like the per- when you talk about testing something in the field, you you really are where it should happen. So, so listen, the answers are two. The first answer is a little bit less uh, technical than expected. The reason why I came to Australia is a love story. There's <laughs> a bit of, bit of romance there. So I. I met my husband in Europe, and he's from, um, he was from Adelaide. So he was there to work, and he said to me, ah, oh, just come, just come to Adelaide. We'll build the family, and so we did. So I didn't choose Australia. Australia chose me. But when I came here, and it's uh, six years ago, because my little one, my big one now is six, um, I really wanted to keep working in what I was doing. And uh, But... Uh, and this is a little little parenthesis and maybe it's interesting for you to know. When I came here, there was no space startup. There was one space startup in the entire country. There was no space agency. And if you are, were not Australian, you could not have a chance to, to work in the space industry unless it was university because 
it was very much defense, right? And you needed a passport. So when I came here, I could not keep doing what I was doing. That was very frustrating. And, you know, I was having these little kids. It was, it was an interesting. A lot of people that know this story, they, they laugh about it, that they say it was an overqualified housewife. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was hard. And, uh, you know, then I met my business partner, Matt uh, Pearson. And, and then we founded a, a startup that before Fleet that, you know, got traction. What is interesting, though, that uh, the previous startup was an educational startup. We were launching most uh, 3D printed satellites for schools that gave us enough cash flow to just look for the next opportunity. Um, a lot of things happen, and then I'm going to answer to you what, why Australia is so good for fleet. But a lot of things happen in parallel because, you know, uh, we were doing well at startup. We really wanted to have the ecosystem. The ecosystem started growing. Fleet was born. Fleet raised money. And Fleet, I mean, like, there are, I don't know, 50 plus, maybe more uh, now, 50 plus millions of local VC money that have been invested in few years in space startups in the country. So we went from two space startups to 100 because when, I, when we started Fleet, everyone told us you will never raise VC money in Australia ever. And we did. So our biggest VC is the first one that invests in space, and so did the other one, and so did the other one. So it was a big change. But the change was, was, was massive. So in three years' time, we went from one to 100 startups, four, five, now they're going through series A, series B, uh, fleet raised money abroad. Um, and then seeing this big change, a space agency was formed, a space agency, right? I was part of the expert, refer expert reference group that built the space agency. Space agency was built two years ago. It's kicking gold. And the idea of the space agency was like Australia is going to be a space agency that's going to bring space technology into our downstream. That's what we're going to do. We're going to help agri-tech and mining and this and that to, to really improve the way they operate. So that happened, and the space agency is in Adelaide, so where, where, where I'm based. So there has been such a momentum Okay, but when I built a startup before Fleet, uh, we were going around and we were using the money that we were making to understand our problems in the ecosystem. And this is where here, that is a small, is, as you said, is a gigantic continent with 25 million people, right? So you have their access to a lot of people and a lot of problems, <laughs> a lot of problems of communication, connectivity, yeah? So in that phase, we managed to speak with a lot of end users, like and the mining and the energy and the agri-tech and the transport, and understood that there were so many problems to be solved. And then we found a fleet. And the good thing is that this is our first world economy that, you know, based this economy on import-export, mining, and energy, and agri-tech. So it's an economy that, that needs to solve the problem. So their adoption, adoption of technology is very fast, extremely fast. So yeah, last year, we put this product, when it hit the market, in the hands of the, the, the companies I mentioned you before, like the biggest hydroelectric plant, the biggest construction company. And you would think like, oh, my God, these guys took the step to bring a product that is completely new inside the organization because the problems are huge. You know what I'm trying to say? The problem has to mm -hmm. be solved. Mm -hmm. And in a very fascinating way, we thought, okay, is this problem going to be as big in other continents? And it turns out that it's huge in the U.S. That you would think that 3G is all over U.S., 
but it, but it's patchy and it doesn't work. So we get customers that, you know, come from Texas that is all 3G covered and say, it's just not working. IoT uh, 3G drops and IoT system fails. We want satellite. And South America, I don't even start mentioning that the, the vastity is, is the same in Australia. So sadly, having customers trying our things so heavily here, it allows us after three years to, to, to have so many customers. And I think Fleet, it is one of the IoT nanosatellite startup with more customers just because we have been very supported, you know, from our customers to try things. And because we are global, we got approached by everyone. So I agree with you. In that sense, we got lucky there. Well, it's a it's a it's a really terrific confluence of of factors. I mean, everything from sort of personal to professional to you know the rise of of private space tech, which I think is I mean it really is one of the the great stories of our era. This emergence of these of of private. I mean, mo a lot of people know SpaceX here in the U.S., but uh, I I don't oh, think course. there's <laughs> as right, but I don't think there's as much of appreciation for you know how 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 much this uh, you know, the the market and and the use cases are are exploding. I mean, I, I you know my background is from the you know the in, in investment area, and, and I I knew of a company called Orbital Insights that was using satellite data yeah. to help track. I mean, you're probably familiar with them, but um, I mean that's only there's the, the, yeah. the the just the tip of the iceberg for um, of 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 applications, and that's why it's so fascinating for me to. To, to hear the industries that you're working on, which are all very have all very high value business problems that you know to your point are very high value, yeah, <laughs> sustainable and also also replicable across different different regions. Um, I'd love to if you could share uh, you know some of the products that that you're working on, the products and services that that Fleet Space is offering. Um, could you talk about you know your your technology and 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 your current offerings? Yeah, so that is where it gets very interesting because, you know, we can discuss about it, all these high-level things, you know, but what is the technology that is propelling all this, uh, all this momentum? So um, for people in the sector, so, um, IoT, one of, there are probably three technologies that I see. You know, I mentioned to you before that these companies and these enterprises have got always the same problem since many years. So why now, right? So I think there are three main technologies that have been happening in the past 10 years that kind of are coming together to solve problems that were existing. Uh, of course, we discussed about the nanosatellite side, so allow uh, um, a low-cost backhaul and a more agile backhaul to solve problems. But that is two that are super interesting that Fleet decided to bring on board. Um, the first one is, is this low-pan protocol. For, for who is not in the sector, when we think about Wi-Fi or wireless technologies, maybe, maybe we think about Wi-Fi. So, so the Wi-Fi that connects to our phone, uh, you know, the amazing technology, 3G, 4G, fantastic. Um, and this technology that helped us for the past 20 years to connect all of us. Um, now is the time for a new revolution, right? The, the Internet of Things revolution. And the Internet of Things revolution is the idea of all these billion devices, everything connected in smart cities and in smart industry. So fleet that smart industry, right? But the protocols are very different. So Wi-Fi cannot support that. Wi-Fi is a short range protocol. Wi-Fi is, is intensive in terms of batteries. 
consumption. So when you think about thousands of sensors in a farm, you don't want to change batteries every day, do you? You don't. You don't want to change batteries for years. And what about the distances? Like, you know, Wi-Fi, you walk out of your room and your Wi-Fi on the phone is gone. So there were a lot of problems logistically. And also when you want to, um, this had an impact on the type of things you can track. When you want to track everything, you need a small sensor, a small device, an unexpensive device. Otherwise, the business model doesn't stack up. So the absence of a protocol or protocols that could allow things to connect was holding the entire thing back. And, you know, in the past five to six years, we have seen some protocols coming up. Um, LoRa is one of them that we really like. So it's a long-range wireless. You can reach, you know, tens of kilometers from the point you're measuring and allows battery life to last for years. LoRa is, um, is uh, an alliance of many, many interesting companies around the world that build this protocol for everyone to use very, very similar of the change we have seen on G many years ago. We have seen Sigfos, like a private company building a, a, a private protocol, uh, very similar. Uh, we've seen Ingino, we have seen NBIOT. So we saw this trend and we thought, wow, this is fascinating, okay? These protocols are going to allow long range, long battery life. They're going to allow internet of things to happen. And people will build new centers around it and we will be able to measure everything. And uh, so we were fascinated about that. But we also realized that um, all these protocols need 3G or 4G or 5G to be back into the cloud. So to, to, they need the G system to enter into the cloud, the data for the network. And we thought, well, how are you going to do when you actually want to connect a mine or you want to connect an oil and gas field, or you want to connect a farm where there is no 3G? How, how are you going to back all, all these protocols? How, what are you going to do? So then when we realized there was like a bit of a, of a gap, um, there are other nanosatellite players in the space, a fleet, uh, compared to fleet. Um, technology are very different. So fleet is, we do something that no one does. And I always tell to everyone, like either we're super fast or it's the opposite. Because we are leveraging existing protocols and backhaul them through satellite. Okay? We haven't built our own protocol as a lot of people are doing around. And that was my and Matt's vision. Our vision is a satellite, our vision are mainly two. Uh, protocols are an interesting headache when a new revolution happens. You start with a lot of protocols, you never know which one is gonna win. So settling with one is very risky. So the more agnostic you are, the better it is. Building your own protocol is hard work. You know, if you look at LoRa, that now it's got 50 million devices connected, it's been built by an alliance of people like Vodafone and Activity and Cisco, right? So this is a brain coming together. So as a startup, you say, I'm going to have my protocol. It's going to talk to my satellite. It's a very close loop environment that creates more mess. So we said, okay, we're going to leverage existing protocols and backhaul them through satellite. And this is going to be fleet things. And, you know, no matter what's going to happen in the next 20 years in the IoT revolution, if some protocols are going to win, we're going to be able to backhaul them. So if you compare us with other players in the area, they all have their own chip, their own protocols. It's a totally different exercise. It's kind of Microsoft versus Linux, right, type of dilemma. Um, so Fleet does leverage these amazing protocols that are the, the change that is happening. So that was the other technology, nanosatellite, 
low-pan technologies. And the third one is, is how our, uh, our secret sauce you know, to backhaul low-power through satellites, you need edge computing. You do need edge computing. Because when you are in a mining company and you are handling a thousand sensors around you and you need to backhaul all that data through satellites, it's going to cost you an enormous amount of money. But the ability to do decision in the field, this is where another amazing buzzword comes in, edge computing. What is it? Is the ability to have um, enough edge, edge, enough computing power and enough intelligence in a modem, in a field, to allow you to do automated decisions. So if you have valves and actuators, you don't need to send data in the, in the, in the cloud. Just do it in the field. Um, increase your security, increase your automation management. You don't have to use all the bandwidth because that, that bandwidth is expensive. And when you actually can do the intelligence in the field, it allows you to be more accurate about what you measure and do amazing things that you would not be able to do before. So what's that, that mean? Okay, just to be more precise and, and give you an example in application. In an agricultural field, you've got your, your, your water station, you've got your irrigation system, you've got your soil moisture sensors. That's an ecosystem. That's an eco- this is an ecosystem of data that allows you to say, now you irrigate, now you don't irrigate. Rain is coming, soil is dry, you know, don't open the irrigation system. Rain is not coming, soil is dry, open the irrigation system. Why would you send all that data inside the cloud and spend money in Amazon fees and bandwidth if you can do it there? So Fleet created an aggregator that we call the portal that is able to connect, you know, thousands of sensors and do edge computing. And that is valid for every application. You know, now I'm talking with a customer about these new amazing cameras. Videos are expensive if you have to send data through. It's gigabytes of data a day. It will cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. No one wants to do that. But if you got videos with facial recognition, with people counting, you don't have to send so much data. The edge computer does the job. So that's the third technology that we integrate. Make sense? No, that that does. So that, that, no, that's fantastic, and I I see that you know the yeah the combination of the yeah the connectivity the uh, the low low cost low orbit space low orbit uh, or you know low Earth orbit space technology as well as the, <laughs> the edge computing together really provides allows you to 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 deliver that uh, that backplane for for this new generation of applications. Now, something really caught my eye. Which is your your project Galaxy, and I'd love to hear uh, hear a little bit about what you're doing with with, with Project Galaxy. What happened there? Oh. <laughs> so oh, at the end of last year, we launched. Yes, I can hear you. Uh-huh. So yeah. at the end of last year, we launched our, our satellites uh, four. So we launched four satellites last year. One of them with Elon Musk. So for you know people in the US that knows Musk very well, we launched our satellites. So we kind of. Uh, bear in mind, Fleet uses a lot of satellites. So we use our own satellite because we believe that that's going to be the best option. But we also use our edge computing platform for any other satellite in the world because this allows us to get into the market fast. Okay. So we use a lot of satellite company out there. So last year, we managed using all this uh, um, backhaul system to really understand what the customer wanted. Um, IoT is not simple. Like for everyone that does IoT, 
uh, all the time. You do a deployment, you get stuck in a POC. There are like 10 centers they want, maybe, maybe 20. You know, they cannot scale up. Um, it took us a while to understand what were the problems. Some problems were technological. And in fact, we spent a lot of time to do that. Some problems were different. So it's go to market and how you enter into an organization. Okay. We have learned a lot last year about that. And, and we decided to share our understanding with, um, with the community, with the Laura community. And we went to Amsterdam um, to talk. I was speaking in Amsterdam in, a, in the TTTN conference. So it's where all the Laura community was there, particularly the Laura community that really works with industrial applications. And we gave our presentation and we said to everyone, hey, we know our pricing, we know our data, uh, just, just, just use our satellites and, and book. And, and Matt and I were saying, okay, you know, we have connect thousands of sensors so far. How good would it be, you know, if we, if we can uh, sell or pre-sell um, other 100,000 <laughs> or a little bit more? So I gave this presentation that is online and there was a form that people could fill up and say, okay, this is what we can do for you. This is our architecture. We are taking pre-orders on the satellite. This is how it's going to look like. This is, this is what we have learned. This is how much it's going to cost. This is what we can provide you. And, um, and we had 4 million centers reserved in a week. So it was a bit overwhelming, <laughs> but it was wow. awesome. Because it kind, of, it kind of shows you the desperation, the need, and the, how big and intense and committed is the LoRa community. And the strength when you actually tap in, in a community that is forming already, right? So 4 million centers for a satellite company is a big number. I think Orcon is one of the companies that connects more centers at the moment. And, you know, it's the same order of magnitude. So it completely shakes the entire system out. And, and I think it proved the strength of tapping into a 16 protocols for a satellite solution. And so that was exciting. And now we are in a journey in which, you know, we are uh, working with these customers to make things happen. And we have learned so much how important it is not just to sell a modem, but to sell a business transformation in their company. So, okay, we have lowered your cost. Okay, we give you these technologies. Okay, we got tens of partners. But at the end of the day, this is a business transformation that goes from the sensors to the cloud to your return of investment. So let's talk to you about this. And uh, this is what we're doing now. So Fleet really provides private networks of industrial mm -hmm. IoT. You got your privacy, you got your network, you got your analytics in the cloud, you got analytics on edge, and, um, and everyone seems to like it. So <laughs> this is why we booked all those centers. Quite fascinating, right? It is. I mean, that's an amazing, yeah. amazing yeah. Uh, acceleration of, of uh, just interest and adoption. I, you know, I always make the, the, the fun things. Like, it looks like I was selling an iPad there, you know, but I'm selling like an IoT solution that is not the most sexy thing, but it seems very sexy. So, you know, it got traction. <laughs> So as you look forward, I mean, you're you are are you, do you do you plan to continue to focus on, uh, you know, on the uh, on the industries that you've been working with? with I guess you know, you, the, you know, again, in, in agricultural uh, resources and environmental, um, or um, you know, what as you look forward, I mean, where, where what are you most excited about uh, uh, about about focusing so, on? Hmm. 
So it's a good question because now we have raised our next round of funding and it's a beautiful moment in which you raise a lot of money, but you also need, you need to think through what's going to happen mm-hmm. next three years. Fleet, the first, the first couple of years in Fleet World was a lot about discovery. We scanned the entire world, many verticals and many applications. IoT is complicated. So doing it all, um, it just, it's just hard. So at the moment of Fleet World, we are looking where is the biggest opportunity. The good thing is that out of 4 million census books, we all around the world, you know, from Australia to Canada, from South America to Japan, in all the industry, we have enough data to understand where is the biggest opportunity. So we know the users, we know the application, we know the vertical. And we have scanned through that and understand, understood what we need to focus on. I think the key in IoT is focus. If you are able to do baby steps and own one application and then own the other one and then own the other and then provide a suite of solutions, then you become very powerful. Um, so we, the past couple of months, while we were closing the round, the entire sales team and technical team, we have decided to refocus. We see a lot of interest and also a lot of willingness to have um, business transformation happening in the energy sector and resource sector is, the, is one of the ones that is, for us, in our world, putting more money. Um, the fact that they put more money is good. Okay, we are a startup. You need, to, you need to survive, right? You cannot do POC for free or an exercise for free. For them, it's not about POC. For them, it's about real deployment. So, and these are companies that got assets that is worth it tracking or problem that is worth it solving. Okay, and the energy and resources sector is also very much high tech. You don't need to explain to them what it means. They get it. Uh, so we found it very easy to navigate. So, but you know, it made me think like going back to one of the questions I asked before. We have a deployment coming out in one of the mining companies in Australia. That's a very harsh environment. You know, <laughs> that's very harsh environment. These are industrial network deployments. So it, it, I mean, the, the quality has to step up. The dust, the heat, uh, hurricane zone, you can just reach it with a helicopter. You know, imagine the remote management system there. So even if you put uh, machine learning and edge and understanding, like this has, has to be managed remotely, right? So there are pros and cons when you focus uh, remote assets of mining and energy as to be a, a solid investment. It gets me excited because I think we are entering in, into an area where people are putting real money in it. So you can try real things and make a big impact. It's amazing. We really are at the, uh, I guess, at, at the inflection point of, you know, excel. I mean, truly, uh, excel. You know, explosion of innovation ahead of us on uh, in space technology. I mean, it, 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 it. With all these, you know, all all connected devices. Yeah. Well, w- one thing I always like to ask too is, you know, what 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 do you see as some of the the major obstacles or uh, you know challenges ahead? You know, for you know as as you you uh, as you see the vision uh, ahead of you. You know, what what are what are some of the key uh, challenges to you know to really re- realizing broad adoption of of this um, of your you know your your space based IoT network whether it be my, my, you know, my space my space vision yeah yeah I mean is it whether it's is it whether it's regulatory or organizational or technological yeah. or yeah 
So I can tell you the things that, you know, I, I know I have to focus the most in the next two years to make happen. So uh, two buckets. The one, so we, the past couple of years, we made very sure that regulatory, I mean, the launch of nanosatellite constellation, it's not a piece of cake, as you can imagine. There's a lot of regulatory issues and hurdles to overcome. That was a big, a big focus for us. That's not going to finish. But it worries me less because we have done a lot of great things. In a, in a nanosatellite constellation, there are a couple of things that are really important to, to, to flag. Uh, the first one is that um, it's not as building a technology and trying your sheds. Every time you build something, you need to launch it. So it's a satellite program. So the more you can launch, the more you can make mistakes, the more you can try, and the more you can evolve. So to perfect your, what you want to do with the satellites, you want to get to a point in which the technology is so well-tuned that you can mass-produce. So you launch one, you launch two, you launch three, it works, doesn't work, you tune it, you tune it. So it's all MVPs. And then suddenly you feel comfortable and you build 20 at a time. So getting to that point is what I want to aim in the next three years. And it's an important point because when you can launch 20 at a time, you really improve latency. Mm. Uh, so how many times customers see us a day, right? They don't see us once a day. They see us every, every 10 minutes. So um, if they see us once a day, every six hours, you kind of miss a lot of real-time applications. Mm. And the real-time application needs to be handled by the edge, not by the comp. Right. So getting to the point that you can mass produce is important. Luckily, we got edge computing that can do a lot of real-time stuff without being sent to the satellite. But that is a worry. In the satellite, that is a worry. It's a, it's a work that needs to be done. And when you, so I'm working a lot with the providers to make sure that we get to them point as fast as possible. It's space, right? You always need to get to a rocket to go there and try things. So it's not as straightforward. And uh, the other thing is rockets. Rockets is, is, is the bottleneck of the industry. So it's, um, you know, last year we waited uh, nine months for the, space, the first SpaceX launch. It took, it's a long time, nine months of a startup of two years runaway that needs to launch satellites, right? Um, so that has to be unlocked. So the industry, and are, if you know the industry, there are a lot of rockets that are being financed, you know, to help nanosatellites to go into space. So all that satellite program has got these two things and needs to be handled. Now you get into the IoT. Um, I'm working IoT since four years with the boots in the field, and there's so much still I don't know. The only things I've learned last year, that a lot of people are really good if they focus in one thing and they master it. When you have a network like us or an edge platform like us, it's way broader. So what you really need to understand that this is a business transformation and you need an army of, of a group of people to enter into a big enterprises, like, I don't know, Shell, and make the, the IoT change, okay? So there is a very specific way of operating, particularly for a startup in which enterprises, sales, and business transformation are as, as low as a rocket, you know, going into space. So there are two, an element of working in the right way when you transform an IoT enterprise's journey that I think we are learning, but it took years to learn. It took years, and it's not as easy. Okay, so these are the things that I try to unlock. Yeah, <laughs> they, keep me, well, I, they don't really keep me awake at night. I sleep beautifully, but yeah, well, they potentially could keep me awake at night. 
Well, you've really hit on a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of essential points to there. This, you know, this idea that um, you can't, I mean, as I guess in the IBM uh, term, you can't boil the ocean all at once. You really have to, you have to take you know, you have to take the problems, you know, one at one at a time, and 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 go deep and go vertical for for success. And it, it yeah. sounds it sounds like Very that's deep. that's the direction you guys are going. Well, um, Flavia, this has been an amazing conversation. I, I uh, you know, I. I you know, it's just such a pleasure to to hear all of the all of the work you're doing, and and of course your you know your your passion and enthusiasm for for the technology and the business problems. Um, I always like to ask you know one question of of every guest, which is if you have a you know a recommendation or, or a resource that you might be able to uh, to share with our our listeners. Listen, you know, um, it, it sounds a little bit funny, but. I got a book that I think I would like to recommend, okay, that I bought in the past year. Um, I think this is probably a message for people that are really that co-founders, that are CEO, that needs to capital raise, that, you know, to, to win enterprises sale is a, it's a, it's a complicated journey. What a book. I was in the airport, um, I think it was in Denver. And uh, doing capital raise, and I needed to close a big contract with a customer. So I, bought, I bought a book called Negotiation, Negotiating with Giants from Peter Johnston. Okay. Oh, okay. What I realized in my journey in the past three years that capital raise, particularly for a company like Fleet, that is a network company, so we need to have a raise, or dealing with um, enterprises is all about negotiation techniques. Like, you literally in your in your core need to understand how to build the best value for the person you got in front of you to reach your goal. And this could be an investor or this could be a client. Because the things that we are trying to bring inside an investor life or an enterprise's journey are complicated. So you need to have you need to understand the process of negotiating. Not just, and I'm not talking about just negotiating around the table. Are you going to give me 100K or 2 million? We're talking about building an environment around you that makes the other person's decision easy to go with you. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's a journey that I spend in a, so an enterprise to decide to go innovation with you and investors to support your journey. It's all about building an environment, an army, and a lot of little techniques that I didn't know before. So I read this book, and uh, he helped me. <laughs> he oh, that's me. So well, that, the journey. Well, that's terrific, and and uh, you know certainly uh, I the the partners at uh, at, at Momenta or were <laughs> certainly saw the see the value. I think you're you're um, you will you'll be a part of the uh, you'll you'll be part of the the Momenta investment portfolio. So uh, that's con- right. <laughs> congratulations and and uh, thank you so much. I I know the team is uh, is is very excited. So um, anyway, well this this uh, I think we've come to come to the end of our uh, our time here. Again, this is Ed McGuire Insights Partner at Momenta Partners, and our guest um, has been uh, Flavia Tata Nardini, who is the uh, co-founder and. Um, uh, CEO of Fleet Space, which is uh, uh, and and it's your website is Fleet 
dot space. So uh, it's pretty pretty amazing. We're looking forward to hearing many more great things from you. And and thank you once again for the time. Thank you, Ed. It was lovely. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momentum Partners, and we thank you for listening to our Digital Disruptor series of interviews. For further information, please check the show notes as well as our website for more information on the innovations and innovators profiled here. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. 